Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Choir Fam Podcast. I'm Dean Leafy, the Director of Choral Activities at Washington State University. And I'm Matthew Myers, the Coordinator of Choral Music Education at Washington State University. In our discussions about the current state of choral music and what it will look like in the future, we agreed that more conversations need to happen to bring the choral community together. And that's why we're here. We bring guests from the Worldwide Choir Fam onto the show to share their wisdom and help make our choral world a little bit closer. By speaking with our guests, we hope to provide interesting tidbits of knowledge you could use in your day-to-day rehearsals and give you a sense for how issues that matter to all of us are being observed and addressed. We hope you'll enjoy these conversations as we work to strengthen our choral community. Welcome to the Choir Fan. Well, Matt, how are you doing this week? Oh, doing well. It is good to be back. Three days of school down for a new semester. So That's right. You know, Omicron, you know, Omicron didn't do anything real horrible for us. But here in Pullman, Washington, we had a ton, a ton of snow. And then since we have a ton of students that come over from the west side of the state, we had that snow block up the mountain passes. We had two day delay because of it. Yeah, an extra two days of break. I don't think most of the students were very mad about it, but I do think they were stressed about driving. (laughs) I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a stressful drive just because it's the pass. It's, eh. But yeah, and then you have avalanches and all this other stuff. Maybe it's a good thing that they waited a bit. Yeah. So, but it's been good to get started. Um, So we just brought back a new choir to WSU this semester. So I'm working with the Treble Choir, which we haven't had in a while. Um, This is great to have three three choirs fully stocked with excited singers and yeah I got started on choral conducting and then my once a week intro to music ed class hasn't started yet because we didn't have a Tuesday this week but yeah. next time we're back yeah it feels good to just uh this is ramping up it's, it's starting to everybody's rebuilding everyone is and so now it seems like we're starting to go we're starting to go and things are starting to slowly ramp up which is exciting yeah for sure So Matt, you were kind enough to invite our guest today. Would you like to tell our audience uh, how you know her and why you've brought her here? Yeah, absolutely. So I met Catherine Rosenfeld, um, might've been my first day of graduate school, um, which would have been her first day of college. So Catherine was a choral music education major at NAU uh, as I was a choral conducting graduate student. And yeah, she was just a go-getter from the start. She was one of the first year students that wasn't afraid to talk to the grad students, which was kind of cool. And she just showed a lot of initiative really early on and um, got really involved in, um, you know, the ACTA chapter, was the president of choir and was in an acapella group and basically in every choir she could possibly be in um, at the university. So got really super involved. And now um, she is continuing to put herself out there Uh, not only singing in various groups throughout Arizona and like everyone knows her there, but also everyone knows her online. This is Miss.Rosenfeld from TikTok and Instagram. Um, So she is kind of famous on the internet too. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's give our listeners just a little bit of a bio on some other bits about Catherine. 
She graduated from Northern Arizona University in 2019 with a degree in choral music education. Her time at NAU was marked by leadership roles, including service as the president for both NAU chapter of the ACDA chapter and the Shrine of the Ages Choir. She grew up in Arizona and is an alumnus of the Phoenix Children's Chorus and Horizon High School in Scottsdale. She has sung with the Flagstaff Symphony Orchestra, the Sedona Academy of Chamber Singers, Quartz Ensemble, Canto Vivo, was a soprano soloist for the Pinnacle Presbyterian Church Chancel Choir, and has sung backup for touring acts including Roger Waters and the Eagles. She loves sharing her passion for music through education. She currently teaches choir and guitar at Rhodes Junior High in Mesa, runs a private voice student in Northern Phoenix, and serves on the Arizona State Board of the ACDA. Of ACDA. She currently sings soprano with the Grammy Award winning professional choir, the Phoenix Chorale. So Catherine, thank you for joining us and welcome to the choir fan. Thank you so much for having me on. I was so excited when Matt asked me to be on his podcast. He and I have stayed really good friends um, since going our separate ways after leaving NAU. And it is really an honor to be here and to see that Matt has landed and is doing such amazing things, including Choir Fam. He is, yes, doing wonderful things. Awesome. I'm glad to get you this connection with Dean as well. I hope you guys run into each other at Western ACDA. Yes, yes, I'm presenting. I'm yeah. So let's 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 meet up. That'd be great. I would love that. And I go I go every year, but this year they handed me my concert dates because I'm new at the school and they put one of my concerts there. So I won't be there this year, but next. Oh, year. that's too bad. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, one of the things that we start our interactions with is to give you a sort of a bigger question. So. Ponder this one, Catherine. How did you fall in love with choral music? That is a huge question. And I think it is something that's really hard for me to answer as an individual because I grew up with it. My parents actually met singing in church choir. And I remember waiting after Sunday school for my parents to get out of choir rehearsal, um, just grew up around choral singers. Um, my parents were both singing actively in both LA and Santa Barbara. And then when we moved out to Phoenix, found opportunities for all three of their kids to sing. So my siblings and I all grew up singing a very, very choral family. So it is very difficult to pinpoint an exact moment where I fell in love with it. Although the one that I quote um, as the moment that I fell in love was the choir that my dad was singing in, in Santa Barbara, the Choir of Voices, um, had some Christmas recordings that we pulled out every year. And I remember being as young as eight or nine and really, really loving um, their recording of Lordson's Omanu Mysterium. I claim that to be the first piece of choral music that I fell in love with in early elementary school and probably a large part of the reason that I'm still singing today. Awesome. So you got a really early start singing with the Phoenix Children's Choir. Now, can you tell us more about um, the various types of choirs that you've participated in and you know how that love for singing continued to grow? Yeah, so a little bit of everything. Started singing in church choir in kindergarten and then 
sang in the Santa Barbara Children's Chorus. Then when we moved out to Arizona, I sang in the Phoenix Children's Chorus from fourth grade through the time that I graduated high school. In middle school, I was actually a band kid. So I continued singing outside of school, but I was playing um, clarinet in band. Then when I went to high school, I actually transferred to a high school with a really, really strong choir program and went out of my boundaries, which you're allowed to do in Arizona if there's a school that you really want to go to. So I was at a public high school with a really, really strong um, choir program, continued to sing there. It was a show choir program primarily, so I have a little bit of experience there, although most of what I did was still concert choir singing, um, as well as still singing with the Phoenix Children's Chorus, taking private voice lessons, and was really, really getting serious about uh, majoring in music education. So then when I was up at NAU, I started out in the women's choir and then I sang with the Shine of the Ages for three years. So again, all more classical. And by my senior year, I had ventured a little bit more contemporary and was doing acapella singing as well. Then after graduating, I came back down to Phoenix, started singing in Canto Vivo, which is a very, very strong ensemble run by Craig Peterson, who works at Mace Community College, and so was singing again in those traditional choral settings, then started my teaching career, and then the entire world shut down for a little bit, and so all of those things kind of went away, um, was figuring out how to make student connections online, um, and then just now recently have started to find those avenues again to start singing again, to start taking church jobs and then um, audition for Phoenix Corral when they opened back up, um, held a season and, and did regular auditions. Yeah. And one cool thing that Catherine and I did together, um, we sang with the Sedona Academy of Chamber Singers, which was one of the most strange professional choirs out there. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it was like, like working with that church and you know how that um, choir is formed? Um, it's really interesting and something I've been glad to be part of. Yeah, and sax holds a, a really big spot in my heart. So I feel bad that I left that off there initially. While I was at NAU, I started singing with the Sedona Academy of Chamber Singers, which is the choir in resident in residence at um, Sedona Church of the Red Rocks. So it is entirely supported by the church and members of individual members of the congregation and it is a choir that has kind of grown into all NAU alums singing um at that church and then also doing projects that come down to Phoenix um, up in Flagstaff sometimes Matt and I both were able to be on a recording of uh, Michael Hoppe's uh, peace and reconciliation yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it was really just a kind of a neat thing that it you know, started off that the church choir wanted to have a few soloists from the university. So I think they hired two and then that became four and then six. And now they have like eight paid soloists in their choir. And then at special events, they wanted to bring down 30 or 32. And, you know, we've this professional choir formed out of um, a church choir with some really generous donors. Pretty cool. Yeah. And what I love about it is that it's all NAU alums. So a lot of professional singing, you don't know the people as well. You show up, you sing the gig and you don't always know the players. Um, but there's a really cool sense of community with that ensemble, because at some point, all of the singers overlapped in college. And if you didn't overlap with them, someone you overlapped with overlapped with them. And it's a really cool little circle there. So you were getting settled um, down in Phoenix. So you student taught 
and you had a job right after that, right? So you went into teaching in the second semester of the year. Um, what was it like to start a new job in the middle of the school year? And can you tell about that experience a little bit? So I took a part-time job teaching two sections of choir, seventh and eighth grade choir at a performing arts school in downtown Phoenix, the public charter. It was very different from anything I'd experienced. I grew up going to public school. I student taught public school, and then I was hired at a performing arts charter. Choir was a required class all the way through eighth grade. So everyone I was teaching was required to be in a choral classroom. And um, I know that because it was a part-time job, that was not the only job that the person I was taking over for was doing. And I know that part of the reason that they left was juggling all the jobs was becoming really challenging. And I inherited a class of students who did not have a particularly positive relationship with choir, with singing at that point. And so the way I describe it is we were trying to turn the boat around, right? We weren't really making progress, but we were trying to get them to stop um, not enjoying the class. And as soon as we kind of started that trajectory and got our first concert under our belt, um, COVID hit because I got that job in 2020. So we never came back from spring break. Um, so just as I was starting to feel a sense of ownership and the students were starting to get a renewed sense of buy-in to the program, um, it all went away. <laughs> Yeah, and I think this is kind of where your like TikTok presence started because you were trying to come up with creative ways to engage your students through online learning, right? So can, can you talk a little bit about what it was like, you know, teaching choir to 13-year-olds online? It was so challenging um, because I feel like the biggest disadvantage that I had was that those students had only been mine for eight weeks. And so we didn't have much of a relationship at all at that point. Um, I'd only just come in in January and we only made it to about halfway through March. So our first few days of classes, my administration was incredible and they were very um, supportive of us connecting with the students, more social emotional learning than pushing content. And they continued that through the entire time that I worked there navigating the pandemic. So I have really positive memories of working at that school and I just started asking my students, like, how are you doing? What are you doing to fill this time? Because I was having a difficult time as an adult, also just having moved back to this city for the first time, just moved to a new area. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And there really wasn't anything to do. It's like, what are you guys doing? And really all I was hearing was that they were on their phones and they were on TikTok. And so one day, just on a whim, I also downloaded TikTok <laughs> and, um, from there, just started finding that a lot of teachers had done the same thing. Some of them had already had a presence online and were continuing it, but many were just joining because that was where their students were. And that was another way to reach them or another way to reach other teachers. So I didn't start with any sort of intention, but sort of just to see what they were up to. And then um, the app really sucks you in and knows exactly how to find the people who are going to um, respond well to your content. So I think my followers are entire, entirely my current students, my former students, choir nerds, and teachers. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, I remember seeing um, those TikToks you posted of like sitting next to the, the soprano in choir, you know, so all of the audience, you've got to check this out. Um, you can all relate to these soprano jokes. It's quite enjoyable. So, um, so you actually were able to make a lot of friends through TikTok, um, which is um, 
you know, it's not what we think of these little tiny videos as the way to connect with people, but you've actually made some fantastic teacher friends from all kinds of disciplines. Uh, so can you talk about what that is like and, you know, how you make these connections with people from so far away? It's been such a surprise and so rewarding to have that. Um, so I guess it just starts with commenting on videos, finding each other's um, content, and then from there kind of realizing that there are little little groups um, within the teacher community and people who have connected with each other. And you see that these two have met up and these two, and you like both of them. So you kind of, you know, take a leap and you start contacting them. You try to befriend them um, in through instant messages initially, maybe commenting on their videos. And then um, it's a, a small community. We kind of know the players. We know who this teacher is. Um, and then start just building connections from there. So on a whim, I went out to San Diego to meet three of the teachers that I had been in contact with in that way online. And they had, were all in San Diego. Two of them lived there and one of them was visiting and um, went out and met a couple of them. And from there, it just snowballs. Then this person knows this person. And I mean, it's gone as far as I've gone now to weddings of people that I've met on TikTok. I'm going to a baby shower in a couple of months and really just making these super close friends with people who were um, passionate educators who were looking for ways to connect with their students and struggling through a very uniquely difficult time. It's it's hard to be a new teacher. A lot of these teachers are around my age, maybe a few years older. Um, it's hard to start new schools. And several of these teachers had started new schools in 2019 or 2020. And so we were all just in the same boat and a very unique boat of being a young educator with not as many years of experience under our belt and um, finding ourselves in the middle of this pandemic. And I think that for so many music teachers, especially, you're often like, if, if you're not the only music person in your building, you're often the only choir person in your building. And you can really feel like an island unto yourself. Um, I certainly felt that way when I was teaching high school, um, that a lot of the public schools in town didn't have choir. Um, and so there were just not that many people that did what I did and just imagining like having this community of people to talk to from all over the place. And yeah, have you gotten any teaching ideas that you have you know, been able to steal from some of these people? And do you have any, um, any that you can share that you remember? Yes. Yeah, so I know that especially as a new teacher, I, I think the biggest piece of advice I could give to a new music educator, especially is make friends with general classroom elementary teachers because the classroom management ideas, the little ways of engaging students, um, the ways of building connections with students have been really, really eye-opening. Even things as silly as having like a prize store that students um, work up to or any little sort of incentive like that. It's just those sorts of things I feel like sometimes fall off of music educators' radars because we're not in as many education classes because we're in so many music classes in school. So to just see even basic classroom management things from teachers who are classroom teachers, especially of younger grades than mine, can be really, really helpful. And I, I will get back to you if I think of a more specific example, but I do know that especially those general ed um, elementary teachers have been really invaluable as I navigate my first couple of years. Well, I like the fact that you know, this is um, 
for all that's on TikTok, uh, thinking about this could be a professional community that I engage with isn't the first thing that I think of, you know, when it comes to that. So I like that this is uh, this turned out to be a really unique way for you to engage with your colleagues in the same same profession. That's wonderful. Yeah, and I'm sure for all of you, it's just such a lifesaver when you're like stuck in your own like bedroom teaching, you know, to feel like you're part of something is really good. Yeah. Um, one thing that I have wanted to steal from Catherine. Uh, so can you tell about your sticky notes for like where you sit at the concert for the kids who are gone? Like, oh, yeah, everyone <laughs> steal this. This is great. Okay, so COVID absences are insane and I also teach um in an area of town where sometimes attendance is just not awesome to begin with with the demographic that I teach so it's inevitable that even if I say you know it's concert week I need you to come to school don't come to school if you get COVID but other than that come to school um I always have quite a few absences and we assign seats so that the transition time is really quick so students sit in our auditorium we're very lucky that my junior high actually does have a small auditorium about 300 seats and so in the back section my choirs sit and watch the other choirs and then we talk about it the next day they write worksheets on it uh, about what they heard and so they're sitting in concert order and it's been really really difficult I've had as many as six or seven absences of a choir of 20 the day that we assigned those seats. And so the first time it was just really bad and the kids couldn't mentally figure out how to skip a seat for the student in front of them, it was not going well. So instead I took sticky notes and I handed them to the student next to the absent student. So if I stand next to Matt and Matt's absent, I'm holding his sticky note. And then when we go to sit down in the seats, you just put Matt's sticky note on his thing. Then after class, I went back and collected the sticky notes off of the chairs. When I said thing, I meant chair. So you're assigned chair and then put the seat number on that sticky note, put all the sticky notes on my whiteboard and said, if you were absent, come grab your seat number. And then they knew where to go. And that was really helpful. And the reason Matt knew about that is because I put that on my Instagram. And so I think Instagram, especially with the story highlight feature is a really great way of stealing other ideas from other music educators. I've had days where there was an assembly or something just got completely messed up about my schedule that I wasn't aware of. And I have my go-to Instagram people that I follow. I'm like, quick, I need a different idea because my plan today isn't going to work. And yeah, so I can steal that absence stuff, even with, you know, middle school to college, it works completely. So <laughs> yeah. So you're at a new school now, um, not teaching part-time anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. What was it like starting at a brand new place in the middle of the pandemic? Um, can you talk about that experience? So I thought I was, I thought I was starting at a brand new place at the end of the pandemic. <laughs> um, I thought that we were winding down a little bit and that has not been the case. So I was really thankful. I was only intending on teaching part-time for a semester. And then looking for a full-time job, looking for something where I had benefits. I was still on my parents' benefits. And then seeing the way the pandemic was unfolding, I talked to my parents and I said, I really think I need to stay at this school where I trust the decisions the administration is making. It was a really small charter. Um, and so I stayed at my performing arts job for a year and a half, taught two sections of choir. And by the end, I think was working like four part-time jobs with no benefits. It was time it was time for a change i have nothing but positive memories of um my administration everyone i worked for at that school but it was it was time for a full-time gig 
So I started looking, um, looking in-state, looking out-of-state, and ended up getting a job in the same district that I student taught at in Mesa Public Schools, which happens to be the biggest district in Arizona. And so the side of town that I that I student taught on is night and day comparison to the side of town that I'm teaching on. So there were some familiar things, familiar choir teachers in the district, friends of mine, really great connections of here's how to kind of get comfortable in the district. But as far as my actual campus, I didn't know anyone, didn't know the band or orchestra director. Um, and it is um, a fairly low income area of Arizona. And it, it, it was a big, big switch from a charter art school that brings in the best of the best kind of looking for a specific music education and now a very public school low income, teaching three sections of choir and two sections of guitar, which I had never taught before. So a lot, a lot of changes from the student population to um, public school teaching for the first time to even the subject a little bit. So had you, had you played guitar before or it was absolutely new, never played guitar, time to teach it. What was it? Um, somewhere in between. I'm very thankful <laughs> for classes at NAU that I affectionately called how to BS. Um, and they were semester long classes that you took once a week and you could take, they were, they were modules. These are not the names of the class, but what I referred to them was how to BS choral arranging, how to BS. There was one for instrumentalists for how to BS choir. If you got assigned to teach choir. So one of the ones that I took was guitar and it was taught by a guitar major and it was writing a guitar curriculum. We all checked them out. We kind of learned some basic chords, um, nothing I hadn't done before. I think at a certain point, if you're a singer, you've like had a guitar in your hand at some point or maybe a ukulele. So I was at that point, um, knew a few basic um, chords. And again, I call those the, those classes that so affectionately because they really were lifesavers. And I was able to say in my interview, you know, I don't have a ton of guitar experience, but someone has walked me through exactly what it would look like to build a semester long guitar curriculum. So I had um, somewhere in between, I had been taught how to teach guitar, but not how to play. And now I think I can do both. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so helpful. I mean, so many, um, so many people will get such great training in how to teach choir and they end up that like half of their day is piano or guitar classes and yeah. So I think it's really great that you had a little background on that before you started. So um, also you've gotten involved, you know, you mentioned a few of the choirs that you sing with um, and also, you know, recently having joined the Phoenix Chorale. Um, so what is it like kind of putting yourself out there in the real world? We've talked about, um, you know, your outgoing online personality, but it also seems that you're very connected in the music world um, in Phoenix in person as well. So can you talk about um, how you've made those connections? Yeah, absolutely. So Matt initially did ask me about being on this podcast. He said, well, I want you to talk about building connections. And I immediately realized I have to just acknowledge that I've lived in this state since I was in fourth grade, and I am the daughter of two people who are also singing in choirs. So I feel like I am so privileged and have such an advantage having met some of the players already just growing up and having my parents sing in really excellent um, ensembles as well. And I know that that's not the case for probably most people. Um, I was lucky enough to get hired as the soloist at the church that I grew up singing in. So that was an initial point of contact, 
But then from there, I really did branch out to things that I didn't know as well. There are a lot of NAU alum who come back down to Phoenix. And I got in contact with some, some who were close friends, but some who I never overlapped with at NAU. And we were just kind of in the same circles, had known each other probably mostly through Sedona Academy of Chamber Singers. And then just started asking, hey, what's a good choir to sing in? And I've since had people who probably um, maybe were new to Arizona when they went to NAU and then moved back down to Phoenix. I've had lots of people just ask, I just want to sing in choir again. Or maybe they went to college out of state, didn't do music and came back. So I just want to sing in choir again. So to start having really good choirs on my radar, both recommended to me or things that I now recommend to other people. Um, and to just start singing in town as much as possible. Another really interesting way that I started building connections was um, leaving a weekly church job. So I worked there for about a year and a half. It was a wonderful experience. It was actually able to record services and keep that church job all through the pandemic and then decided it was time to kind of branch out a little bit more. And so I started telling my friends um, who sing in different circles. Hey, I, I want to be a regular sub for people's churches. I just don't want to sing every week anymore. And so now a lot of the connections that I build with people who I would have never met is a friend of a friend saying, Hey, this person needs a soprano this week. Can you jump into their church choir? And then I view that almost as like Matt was saying with that isolated feeling of you're the only person at your job who does something and you probably get stuck in your own warmups and there's no other choir teacher on campus to be like, Hey, what warmups are you using today? You know, there's no collaboration there. Um, working with different people on the podium as often as possible has also given me a lot of skills that I can then take back to my classroom. So it's really just a matter of reaching out and asking if you have one connection, you probably have 25. And then if you have 25, you probably have a thousand. Yeah. It's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. Well, is it time, Matt? I think it is. It is time for our rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I've, I've been nervous about this all day. I was like, I'm going to say something dumb. So I'm excited. Let's do it. <laughs> well, some of the questions are dumb anyway. So. They are. They're meant, they're meant that way. It's all good. Great. Yeah. So we'll start easy. Catherine, do you have a favorite flavor of ice cream? Um, already, I'm stumped. Uh, uh, mint chocolate chip. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That is good after dinner. Like, bam, mint chocolate chip. That is, that'll sink it. That and uh, Thin Mints, Girl Scout cookies. Yes. Oh, especially the if they're freezer. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, okay. What is your favorite guilty pleasure TV show? Uh, Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> it's a spinoff from the Real Housewives. And I feel like that's all you need to know about how terrible it is. I think that gives us an idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you could pick between being able to fly and being able to be invisible, which would you pick and why? I feel like flying just for the views. And, and I could, you know, ditch traffic. <laughs> We haven't gotten that answer about the traffic. Really that is a practical, is a smart use one. Fine. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. you live, you teach in Mesa, and what town do you live in? I live in Phoenix. It's a 25 minute commute. Oh, that's actually not that bad for that I've, area. But. Everyone's trying to go to Phoenix, and I'm trying to go out to Mesa. So it's not bad. Nice. Okay. Tacos or hamburgers? Tacos. Yeah. If you had to pick one favorite coral piece, 
what would it be? Oh, it's so boring, but I feel like based on my story, I have to say Om on you. We wouldn't be here today without that. <laughs> hey, that is a good reason to say it, though. There's a reason why everyone loves that piece. It's very good. It's you know? very good. Yes. Okay. What is one composer that you feel needs more attention? What's a composer that you've used in the past and you're like, hey, I, I really like this composer? Well, I can't say, well, I guess it is one I, I used in the past. I just want to plug my friend who is up and coming and I think is going to be doing amazing things in a lot of spaces as a composer, but I'm going to say Ryan Gunderson. He is my age and he is on the rise, just finished up at USC and is going to do amazing things. So look out for Ryan Gunderson. G-U-N-D-E-R-S-O-N-S-E-N? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So uh, listeners, take a look. Uh, he was in my first semester of men's chorale, so my former student. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your favorite memory associated with choral music? Oh, you're going to make me pick one? Well, you can share more than one. That's okay. Yeah. There are, there are so many. Um, but I feel like one that just kind of captures like the spirit of the whole thing is my first concert in Shrine. So first concert singing um, in the top choir at NAU. At that point in time, that was like my biggest goal. I had dreamed about being in Shrine for years and I was so nervous for my first concert. And the bass that I stood next to, who has continued to be um, a dear friend of mine, just grabbed my hand partway through the, the performance and didn't drop it the whole time. And that was just a really, really sweet memory. That's right. We're a community here. That's awesome. Um, Okay, what projects or perhaps one project or others that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Oh. Every, every project that I've gotten to do with Phoenix Corral, I'm now working on my, my third one. We're doing quite a bit of Mendelssohn. It's going to be a really stunning concert. And I still have um, just kind of like a honeymoon phase singing in that choir. It is such a privilege. And so that's, that has to be my answer right now. It's just a, a privilege and an honor to get to sing with that ensemble. Nice. Awesome. Um, I have a couple more rapid fire questions that I stole from you, Miss Rosenfeld. <laughs> oh no. So these are from her 2 million view TikTok. Um, oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> so what's your bedtime? Um, I try to have it be 1030. <laughs> And is cereal a soup? I'm going to say no. <laughs> I agree. Um, if this is esoteric, you should probably check out that TikTok. Um, but yeah, I think. You know what? Uh, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Is biscuits and gravy a soup? Mm, it is warm. So it feels maybe soupier. But something about the texture, I'm going to say still no. Yeah. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, I hate that one. All I know about that question is that my kids will start screaming if I ask it. <laughs> People get very defensive. I'm not sure. <laughs> you can tell we've all taught a little bit of middle school here. Yes. So, yes. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the rapid fire. So you didn't say anything stupid. You're all good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so it was so great to talk with you today, Catherine. Um, we really appreciated getting to know you better and hearing your insights. And I know I'll definitely keep some of your tidbits in mind as I work with my choir in the coming weeks. 
So now if our audience wants to get in touch with you or follow you on social media, how do they do that? Awesome. Well, you can follow me on both TikTok and Instagram at missms.rosenfeld, R-O-S-E-N-F-E-L-D. So that's my TikTok and my Instagram. I'm pretty good about answering direct messages, especially on Instagram. But if you would like to email me, that's going to be almost the same. So missms.rosenfeld23 at Gmail. So same handle, but then with 23 after it. Well, listeners, we have been speaking with Catherine Rosenfeld. And Catherine, we thank you. Our audience thanks you. And we're happy to call you now a part of our choir fam. Thank you for having me. I'm Dean Leafy. I'm Matthew Myers. And you've been listening to the Choir Fam podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked the show, please rate and review. If you didn't like the show, please let us know how we can better serve our choir fam. You can follow our Instagram page at choirfampod or email us at choirfampodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks again for being part of the choir fam. Choir fam.